invite you to take your Bible and to turn with me tonight to the book of Isaiah, uh, to Isaiah chapter 1, and in the next few weeks, or rather with the next few sermons, I want to take a, a detour from the book of Acts to explore a few passages in Isaiah and have here a specific thematic thread that I want to pursue with you. I'm going to let that unfold as we go rather than uh, state it here. But tonight we are in the opening of this book, Isaiah chapter 1 and verses 1 through 20. Listen, this is God's word. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct 
oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as wool, as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's an underappreciated, I think, uh, kind of news story. Or at least, I don't think we take as seriously as we might what it has to say about the human condition. It's one put out by most of our major news networks. You have, of course, your stories of politics and of war, climate and natural disasters, entertainment and sports. And then there's this kind of news story, often simply called oddities. Nebraska man paddles 38 miles in hollowed out pumpkin. Man charged with smuggling pythons in his pants at US border. California woman charged with killing man over cat dispute. Or, heard the news, cows adopt wild piglet. These stories, they, they grab our attention for being seemingly or even actually inexplicable. Uh, they sound unreal. Often, they just make no sense. Tonight, Isaiah invites us into this kind of event. Uh, but if these stories, if they seem like they take place on the margins of our lives in out-of-the-ordinary events, Isaiah brings this kind of oddity right into our everyday existence. Sin, he shows us, is this kind of oddity. Sin does not make sense. We rightly think of, of sin as, as trespassing God's law, as unlawful. But Isaiah, he shows us this. Uh, sin is irrational. If we comprehend God's God's faithfulness as a father. And if we comprehend his deep love and if we appreciate his uh, creation of us for himself, then our turning from him, it can be nothing other than irrational. But Isaiah shows us this too. If sin does not make sense, God's grace is even more astonishing. And so in this passage, we also hear from Isaiah these life-changing words, though your sins are like scarlet, 
They shall be as white as snow. This passage then, it draws us into these oddities, these inexplicable events. On the one hand, the madness of sin, and then the marvel of God's grace. The madness of sin. This book called Isaiah, it opens with what we might call a a covenant lawsuit. And if you want to explore this more fully, you might go and read Deuteronomy 32, where Moses, likewise, he uh, calls upon heaven and earth to bear witness. He articulates God's grace and faithfulness to in, in drawing Israel into covenant with himself. He describes the people in the same way as, as uh, foolish, as senseless, and he warns them. He warns them of the curses of the covenant. But what for Moses, the, the lawsuit that Moses issued as a warning for Isaiah, the, the judgment has begun. This book opens with a passage in which Isaiah declares that the beginning of God's judgment has already arrived. But notice what this means for us as we read this passage. What Isaiah uh, says here, it has a a general relevance uh, with respect to sin, with respect to God's giving of forgiveness, but also it has a particular focus on the people of God. He addresses you, and he sets before you the madness of sin. And so sin's irrationality, he, he shows us first two, what I want to uh, see as two sets of contrasts. Uh, First, in this summons, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth. And then he wants heaven and earth to bear witness, to, uh, to, to bear witness concerning his own people. And here already we can, even with these words, we can catch a contrast that exposes the folly of sin. We'll, we'll see next time. Isaiah's commission as a prophet is a strange one. It's, he's given a commission to a people who do not hear God, who do not see or perceive God's ways, and Isaiah is to confirm them in their dullness. As, as the book will say, lest they see with their ears and hear. Uh, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. That's Isaiah's audience, unhearing, unseeing. But his book opens with this amazing summons. Hear, O heavens. Give ear, O earth. And so we get this surprising contrast. The heavens and the earth will serve as better, uh, better audience to God's words than God's own people who were made to hear him. We might put it this way. Isaiah, 
He calls upon lifeless objects. He calls upon the stars in their courses, the earth with its hills and mountains and its fullness. And he calls on these lifeless objects. Uh, And of these, um, we can at least say, we can at least say that they obediently follow in their courses what God commands. They hear God's voice and perform their duty. And then over against them, Isaiah gives us human beings who should see and should hear, uh, who, who were made to see God's work, who, to hear God's word, to give voice to his praise. And we, we humans are stubborn, unhearing, turning. So hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, the heavens and the earth will, will testify that Israel's sin is contrary to God's act of creation. That's the first contrast. And the second is in verse 3. Here is where I want us to see that this kind of odd news story. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah uses this, this proverb-like statement and it's full of irony. Full of irony in Proverbs like these, the the ox and the ass are, as one scholar puts it, the favorite subjects to express stupidity, contrariness. But for Isaiah, uh, Isaiah says, even these stupid animals have better sense than Israel. Uh, Israel comes off as a, in a poor second. God's covenant people have less sense than ox and ass. The prophet Jeremiah will get a hold of, of this proverb and, and multiply images like it. He produces further oddities. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Or even the stork in the heavens knows her times and the turtle dove, swallow and crane keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. And again, does the snow of Lebanon leave the crags of Syrian? But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. You see, sin does not make sense. But come back to Isaiah and notice what Isaiah says that that the people fail to comprehend. The ox knows its owner. The donkey, uh, its master's crib. The animals know to whom and where they belong. But God's people have forgotten. They have become estranged. They no longer find their home in God. 
See, it amounts to this as Isaiah says it. Children have I reared, but they have rebelled. Israel has forgotten and we forget that we have our life in God. Don't you remember how he found you in the wilderness of your sin? Don't you remember how he found you quenched, longing for food? How he wrapped his arms of grace and love around you? But you see, we rebel, we become senseless. Sin does not make sense. These are our our contrasts that Isaiah gives us. The theologian uh, Herman Bovink, he, he writes this. He says, when all is said and done, sin proves to be an incomprehensible mystery. It exists, but has no right to its existence. It, ha- it exists, but no one can explain its origin. He says, it lives off the good, yet fights it to the point of destruction. It is nothing, has nothing, cannot do anything without the entities and forces that God has created, yet organizes them all in rebellion against him. See, with everything that, that God has given, sin takes that and, and uses it in opposition to God. And so we feel with Isaiah, the madness of sin. And then there's a second way that Isaiah exposes this madness for us. He gives us these contrasts, and then he, he also gives us the, the consequences of sin. He puts these questions to us. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? And there's an element of lament here, uh, of, of God's sadness and grief with respect to his people's sin that uh, we, we can hear and we can feel God's grief and longing for his people. But the consequences for Israel's sin, they're put to us with these two uh, juxtaposed sets of images. In verse, verses five and six, it's, diseases and, and, and sickness and ailments that, that cover Israel head to toe. And in verses seven through eight, it's the, it's the desolation of war. But Isaiah would, would wake up God's people to this fact that these things are for them the effect of their sin the curses of God's covenant, and not some arbitrary judgment of God. But consider his question again. Why will you be struck down? It's Israel's choice in in clinging to their rebellion that has led to this judgment. In her book, uh, Home, Marilyn Robinson tells the story of two adult children who, uh, of Glory and Jack Boughton, who 
each return home to their small town childhood home to live with their, their father, uh, a Presbyterian minister, old and, and nearing death. And glory comes home following a, a broken relationship that had, been, that had turned out to be a lie. Eleven years in that relationship uh, and then revealed to be a lie. Jack comes home as a prodigal son, having stayed away for over 20 years with this long history of, of rebellion, of, of crime, and alcoholism. And in that book, Glory wrestles with what it means to return home under those conditions. She thinks of her childhood home and she marvels. She says, home. What kinder place could there be on earth? And why did it seem like exile? Home, what kinder place could it, there be on earth? And why did it seem like exile? Why did, why did their home seem like Exile, you see, that question is not unlike what Isaiah has set before us, that why do we treat our home in God as if it were exile, bondage? But then likewise, in coming home, glory begins to see God's grace. She begins to see God's grace and, uh, and his grace in bringing her home so that she says, weary or bitter or bewildered as we may be, God is faithful. He lets us wander so we will know what it means to come home. And that's how it is with Isaiah too. This passage, it shows us the, the madness of sin, home as exile. But then it also opens up for us the marvel of God's grace. If sin baffles us, if it makes no sense, God's grace even more, uh, it stretches our comprehension. Listen again, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. It's so, that, that expression is so startling, some commentators think it must be a rhetorical question. Your sins are like scarlet, and you think they can be white as snow. It sounds like an impossibility. The pa this passage then, it, it finds us like, like the guilty party in, in a detective novel or a detective show trying to hide the evidence, you know, frantically washing, uh, washing the guilt from our hands, knowing that there's no getting the stain out of our clothing or off of our shoes and frantically hiding away or, or burning the evidence. This passage, it finds us and it gives us this, you'll be white as snow. 
There are other marks of God's grace here, too, that, that we should see and, and, uh, and pay attention to. First, even in verse 9 of this passage, it makes this, Isaiah makes this stunning claim. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we, would, we should have been like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. And you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 18 and 19, those cities that were so full of sin that God burned them up in his wrath so that they become even uh, um, repeated pictures and images of God's wrath. See, God has caused Israel to know the consequences of their sin. And yet, his commitment to them is such that he will not let them be utterly destroyed. His, uh, even if they become a, a tiny booth in a vineyard, his commitment is such that it, he will not let them be destroyed. And this is a grace. This is grace because as the passage goes on, we find that uh, Israel is no better than those infamous cities. The prophet startles us. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's addressing Israel. Uh, give ear to the teaching of your God, you people of Gomorrah. See, Israel's sin means that they ought to be destroyed even as those cities were. But God's covenant grace means they are preserved, disciplined, but not brought to a full end. And then I want to say we glimpse God's grace even in these, these biting rebukes that we find beginning in verse 10. Again, Hear Yahweh's word, you rulers of Sodom, of Gomorrah. And then God rebukes uh, Israel for the abuses that have come to characterize their, their worship, for imagining that a multitude of, of rituals and sacrifices uh, could, could make up for unbelieving and for rebellious hearts. For for coming before God in public worship, but bringing all manner of hypocrisy into that worship. Until finally the, the passage it reaches these words, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds uh, from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Or as we might say more simply, repent. All of these words are God's grace to you. Is that hard to believe? That words of rebuke should be gracious words. It's a gracious thing when God speaks words of correction 
to you. It's a gracious thing when God disabuses you of your favorite places of false security, when God demolishes your false hopes, when he says, hear, give ear, turn, cease to do evil, learn to do good. It's a gracious thing when the Spirit, by His Spirit, God causes you to hear. So we catch these glimpses even of God's grace throughout this passage, but of course, those last words, they stand out to us. They they cause us to marvel that from the madness of our sin, God says, come now, let's reason. Let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, red like crimson, they will be white as snow, they will become like wool. We are struck by the madness of of our sin and then how much more by the marvel of God's grace. How can it be? Look at this, that, that here is the Father's deep commitment to you that however you wander, he says, I will wash you. I will make you new. We find it hard to believe, but Isaiah will show us something, someone even more stunning. How will God bring about this great redemption? In chapter 52 and in chapter 53, God says, behold, my servant. And when we are drawn to see the servant of the Lord, the anointed one that that God uh, gives for your redemption, uh, when when we are drawn to see him in this book, uh, the servant's appearance is even baffling. Isaiah will ask, who can believe what is heard from us? For, uh, For a people hard of hearing, Isaiah gives us something hard to believe. There is no form or majesty in him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. You see, Surely, Isaiah says, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? You could say of Christ, the whole head is sick. The heart is faint. Bruises, sores, and wounds, not pressed or bound up or softened with oil. But he has borne your judgment to the end. And with his wounds, you are healed. 
the whole madness of your sin, all of its awful consequences have been borne by him so that you would marvel at his grace, so that you would know God's fatherly love, so that you would receive his fatherly rebuke and correction so that you would know what it means to come home. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are humbled by the madness of our sin that grips us again and again and that in view of Christ our Savior draws us to you again and again for mercy. We praise you for your word that graciously confronts, that wounds, uh, that wounds and cuts in order to heal. We praise you for your fatherly discipline the way you correct us and draw us away from the death of our sin to find life and newness in you. We pray, Lord, that as you draw us to see Christ our Savior, that humble servant bearing uh, shame and scoffing rude, bearing the judgment of our sin, bearing wounds so that we might be healed. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to marvel at his grace and seeing uh, your grace and love that you would also transform us, fill us with uh, renewed repentance, enable us to walk wholeheartedly after you. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord and we say together, amen. Amen.